spread the word to us? No, we're not doing that. Okay. More time to preach. More time to preach. <laughs> so he's coming to break the word to us right now. <laughs> Uh, thanks, man. Appreciate it. I, uh, yeah, we have a CD of the month club, and yeah, we just basically, um, it's uh, really cheap. You get a CD every single month sent out to you, and we're studying through Revelation right now, so if you want to be a part of that, you can do that, and we'll come to your house, and I'll yell at you for an hour, and uh, you can just participate in that study. Once you open your Bibles up to the book of Revelation, surprise, surprise, chapter uh, 1. This is a brand new study for me. I have the greatest, deepest. I don't. I don't. Hey, that's not just. Uh, that's not just preacher stuff. I have a great respect for pastors who, um, and I've struggled with this a little bit. I think um, the pressure that's on our ministers today to whip up dynamic, uh, outstanding, phenomenal, earth-shattering truth three times a week in a preaching setting is difficult. I mean, it's difficult. And uh, they only get to preach it once, and, and I get to share our my personal devotions. I share them several times. I don't have my lucky 11 sermons that I you know share for the rest of my life kind of thing, but because uh, we're always rehashing, I'm growing and just sharing where I'm at in my own spiritual walk type of thing. But um, one of the greatest challenges, especially if any of you ever feel a call to the ministry, one of the greatest challenges, I believe this, of a minister in terms of preaching is not the Bible study, it's not the growth, it's not the um, it's not the study because we don't just down, we don't just download stuff from the internet to preach. We choke people who do that. We don't do that. You know, we're hey, we're getting into the word of studying and learning. Uh, the greatest challenge is is to communicate that. Um, what I believe was so phenomenal about Jesus, he was able to take phenomenal truth and and not cut it in half and give like partial truth. He gave it in a way that everyone understood it. And so that's phenomenal. So one of the greatest struggles that I find myself consistently having is being able to co- communicate uh, what I've been finding in a way that everyone understands it. And so uh, I want to try to do that tonight uh, out of the book of Revelation, chapter 1. And again, we're looking at Jesus. Now, I want to I open up with this kind of... I want to prepare you tonight if I can, okay? I want to prepare you. And um, when we're talking about Christianity, and if you are not a Christian tonight, and I know we have people here, I, I saw people come in that I haven't seen this week, especially a number of the teens. Wow, and they're taking over. <laughs> they're outnumbered. Praise the Lord. It's about time. Um, um, if, if you are not a Christian or you're fuzzy on terms of being a Christian or what that means or those kinds of things, um, I'm really adamant that, and we press this hard because it's, it's the fundamental biblical idea that constantly gets twisted. Christianity is not a set of beliefs that or a set of activities that I do. I do this and I do this and I do this and I certainly don't do this and I don't do this and I don't do this, therefore I'm a Christian. Now that is ridiculous. That is not what a Christian is. That's not how the Bible describes a Christian. In fact, I'm convinced that you can do all the things that a Christian does and not be a Christian. Because Christianity isn't about like the inclusion of activities. It's not a discipline kind of thing. I, and I don't, man, I don't know how to describe that. I am an absolute different person. I think differently. I just, I, I, it's not like I, I, I just put a mask on. I mean, have you ever wanted to just be a Christian? I use this illustration often, but um, I have no, and I, I've used it this week, but I have no problem being Jeremiah Bolick. I get up in the morning and I'm just Jeremiah. I want to get up in the morning and be a Christian. 
Therefore, the things in my life that do not look like Christ, the things in my life that are part of the patterns and the way that I've always thought that he's going to have to rework and work over in my life, see, those things need to be addressed by him. For instance, I come to church on a Wednesday, and I show up and I'm excited, and I see that person that comes also on Wednesday that I can't stand, and uh, I look at them and think, oh, man, I, hope, I wish they were hit by a car this week. And they're not. And uh, you, know, you just can't stand them. You don't like them. You wish they'd sit on the other side. In fact, you wish they'd go to a different church. That's the way you feel about it. You can't help it now. Obviously, you know that's wrong. You know that's not proper. You know you can't think like that. So when they come up to you, you have to put on the mask or the front. My generation, my, my generation called it fronting. We put on a front. And we smile and say, oh, it's so great to see you. You smell great. Wow, man, I'm glad you're here. Praise the Lord. And, of course, when they walk away, it's in our heart that, man, I can't stand them. Wouldn't it be fantastic, honestly, wouldn't it be fantastic if we could come to a point in our life where I said, Jesus, I'm not tolerating that in my life anymore. I can't discipline that. I can't change that. And some of that stuff is difficult. Some of that has to do with abuse. And some of that's very you know, non-comical in terms of the way you look at your parents or the way you look at so-and-so or what they have done in a job. And you have fought, fought over it, and we've counseled people on this. they fought over that, fought over that, and fought over that. And I can't. <laughs> you're in a phenomenal place where you're finally realizing that you can't pull off Christianity, that you have to fall on your knees and say, Jesus, I'm going to give you time to work me over and bring me through the path and run the right person and, and under accountability of my pastor and my shepherd, and, and I'm going to come in the fold of the body, and I'm going to allow you to do a work in me where I can see the way you see. That's Christianity. I'm done with. I'm done with calling myself Christian because I show up to a church on Sunday. That's ridiculous. That's not Christian. Okay. We're talking about I'm different, <laughs> which is phenomenal. I'm not, I don't act different. I am different. I'm a different being. Now, I want to talk to you about that in relationship to where we're finding revelation because that's how Jesus is presented. This is so neat. Um, Jesus is presented in his person, okay, in his person. Uh, in, in, in the introduction to the Revelation, we've been looking at verse 5. Jesus is presented just, it's phenomenal. The, uh, the verse reads, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, this is my NIV translation, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, NIV. Jesus Christ, the, uh, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the rulers of the kings of the earth. When you go through the grammar, and I know how much this group likes grammar, when you go through the grammar and you're identifying the subject in the sentence in the Greek, you know it's in the nominative. You would suggest that the subject of that sentence, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, you would expect the subject of that sentence to be Jesus. And it's not. It's not Jesus Christ. The subject of the sentence, which means the actual God, member of the Godhead that we call Jesus, the subject is the faithful, the witness, the firstborn, and the ruler. That is who Jesus is, and we call him Jesus. Okay. We call him Jesus. Now, this should not be a surprise to us, because you understand this is how God sees you. This is going to be wonderful. On the last day, everything is going to be uncovered. Do you realize that you're going to get a new name when you get to heaven? Be fantastic. It's going to be on a white stone. I'm not sure what that's all about. But hey, you're getting a new name when you get to heaven. That's what it says. You're getting a new name when you get to heaven. And it's going to be representative of your person. And we can fake, uh, fake it here. I'm an, I'm an attendant evangelist in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm an ordained elder. Uh, I travel 50 weeks a year. You are looking at one of the most least accountable people in the Church of the Nazarene. Which is why 
it has been uncovered, not too many times in our denomination, but around the globe in terms of evangelists, you have evangelists after years and years of ministry have it discovered that they live an alternate lifestyle. Why? Because I could flake out here and have a whole, totally different lifestyle and even be busted on that here and go to the next church and you would know about it. You wouldn't call me back, but the next church would. That's just how it goes. I'm one of the least accountable. I come under accountability and I come under authority, first and foremost, your pastor this week. But I have a group of men that I'm accountable to. But the, the, the reality is, is that I am one of the most least accountable people in the Church of the Nazarene. Okay? I'm not really sure where I was going with that. Okay. I'm one of the most least accountable people in the Church of the Nazarene. Couldn't where was I going with that? Well, I'll remember in a minute. Revelation chapter 1. Okay? His person. I am accountable. I'm not trying to allude to anything that I'm, you know, in trouble or anything like that. And this is the first time I preached this, so cut me some slack. Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn uh, from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. His person, now hear this, the second member of the Trinity that we call Jesus, new name. Oh, I know where I was going with that. Okay. Back up just a second. <laughs> yes, all right. Yeah. Well, I'm leaving next week, and the next church will never know that I even did that. See how that works, okay? What I'm getting to you is, is being the most least accountable people in the church of the Nazarene, I can fake you out. I mean, really, when it comes down to it, I can fake you out. I can't fake him out. Hear me on this. I can't fake you. I can't fake him out. He sees me in my person. And John chapter 5 says, on the last day, all of us are going to stand before him as we are. And not only he's going to see us that way, but everything's going to be uncovered. In fact, John says at the resurrection, there's going to be a resurrection of life and a resurrection of death, which means at the resurrection, we're all going to come out screaming out of the grave and our persons are going to be shown. So what I'm trying to tell you is, is you have a person. Now, we may call you a Christian, but Christian is not... Not Christian is not uh, describing your activities. Christian is describing your person. Does that make sense? Okay. So what's going on in our passage, Jesus is the faithful, his person. He's the witness, his person. He's the uh, uh, firstborn from the dead, his person, and he's the ruler of the kings of the earth, his person, and we call him Jesus. Now, last night we looked at, or the night before last, rather, we looked at a part of his person that is the witness. Now, this is important. He's not talking about how Jesus witnesses. A different Greek word is used for that. In other words, we're not talking about his witness. We're talking about his person and that he is a witness. He is a witness. Now, what does that mean? Well, the Greek word there for witness is martyr. Okay? He, martyr. And I thought I knew what that meant. I thought, oh, yeah, someone who dies for their faith. That's not a martyr. In fact, you could die for your faith and not be a martyr. The biblical concept of martyr is, yeah, they often die for their faith because they're so strong with it. But a, a martyr is someone who's dying for their faith, but intertwined with that and inseparable with that in their person is a proclamation of the gospel. This is phenomenal. I just got all excited about this. It's not that they proclaim the gospel and because they're proclaiming the gospel, they die. No, it's not like, well, that sermon is just too much to handle. Besides, he goofed up the beginning. We're killing him after <laughs> Not that kind of thing. Not that, that's not what he's talking about. It's he is a proclamation of the gospel in his person. Witness is a noun, not a verb. Stress this for the teens. Uh, you're a proclamation of something. You're a proclamation of something. 
Okay? He is a witness. Not that he witnesses, and he does, but hey, he is a proclamation of the gospel. Now, tonight we're looking at the faithful. Why I covered witnesses, I struggled when we first studied this passage. And if you look at your verse, in verse 5, in most translations, and I'll ask you, if, if there's a different translation here, tell me. But I think in every translation I have found, and I've got a ton, it's always the faithful witness. That's in the New King James, it's in the King James, it's in the NIV, that's in the NASB. Is there anybody who has anything different? Does any, does, does any translation say the faithful and then separate it to the witness? Is any, we don't listen to the Amplified. Uh, <laughs> I'm just teasing. <laughs> that's an inside joke between my wife and I. She's the big Amplified. And uh, now the, and Rhonda. <laughs> But in terms of, um, in terms of um, uh, just the standard non-paraphrase translations they add on to, which is nothing wrong with those that are fantastic, it's, it's always translated as the faithful witness. In other words, uh, faithful is not the genitive, so it's not describing what kind of witness it is. He's the witness. What kind of witness? He's the faithful witness. That's not how that works. He's the witness. He's the faithful. But wherever you find this, I struggle with this, everywhere you find this in our Bible, when it talks about someone being both faithful and witness, they're always together. It's like witness and faithful is two sides of the, of the same coin. It's like you're talking about the same thing. This is really important. You're going to stick with me. You're going to miss this. Okay? It's like you're talking about two sides of the same coin. Witness is, I am a proclamation of the gospel, the good news, the message. I'm a pro I am a proclamation of that. When you watch me, it's going to be proclaimed. In my actions, in my relationships, you're going to get the message by, walking, uh, by watching me. Faithful literally means I'm faithful to that message. Okay? I'm faithful to that in my person. Not a discipline, I'm faithful because I really work at it. No, I'm faithful to that. I never deter from that. It's a, it's a part of who I am. It's that message that we're talking about. Now, we want to begin to look at that, and that's a little confusing, but it gets really, it makes sense, I believe, uh, as we begin to go through this. The first, uh, we want to begin looking at, again, Jesus being the faithful, the second side of the coin, and we want to do that by looking at the word faithful and start with looking at the root word, okay? The root word of the word faithful is faith, okay? It's faith, which was really interesting. Um, I've been listening to uh, some podcasts um, uh, by Rap uh, Robbie Zechariah, just uh, kind of an interesting guy. I'm sure those of you uh, who have uh, uh, been around the church long enough, you've heard of him. He's a Christian apologist. And I first got interested in him because of my wife. And then the more I began to listen to him, uh, he takes some of the same... Uh, he's an apologist, defender of the gospel, and goes into co secular colleges, and he's just too smart for his own good. But he takes the same strategy that C.S. Lewis used to take. I'm a big C.S. Lewis fan. Um, J.R.R. Tolkien uh, worked at, he was a Christian, and worked at, uh, um, of course, he was at Oxford University in the literature department, and just a genius. He wrote The Lord of the Rings, the, the trilogy, the novel, The Hobbit, and Silmarillion, if you read all that stuff. Uh, if you have too much time on your hands, like I do, you've read that. And um, just excellent material. One of his best friends was C.S. Lewis, who was an atheist. Okay? And what I'm telling you this is a lot of apologists, including um, uh, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, and then C.S. Lewis took it to the next level once he became a Christian, they, they begin talking about faith. This is so neat. Everyone, they all say this. Hear me on this, team. Stay with me, please. Okay? They all have, every Christian has faith. And not only every Christian has faith, but every single person has faith. 
And how these apologists do this, and it's a genius, they take and explain, and we're going to do this, how everyone has faith, and then among those different examples, they stick Christianity and show how Christianity is the most logical of that. Now, I wouldn't go that direction personally, because I'm a preacher, but they do that. Okay? And when we say everyone has faith, it's obvious. There are two different kinds. This is kind of neat and it was new to me. There are two different kinds of faith that everybody has. First, we would call, or scholars call, simple faith. In fact, that's from the Greek word. The Greek word we translate faith, pistuo, in secular Greek, non-religious usage, uh, literally means to invoke a second party, which doesn't even have to be human. It's you're putting your faith in something. When you guys came in, you sat down in the chair. Why? Because you had faith it was going to hold you up. Okay? If you didn't, you wouldn't have sat in it. Because there are certain chairs that I could produce to you, you'd say, I'm not sitting in that thing. Okay? It's not going to hold. Okay? You have faith in the chair. It's called simple faith. Whether it's faith in a chair, whether it's faith in uh, terms of getting my car fixed, or, or what have you. You go to someone, you put your faith or your trust in them. It's called simple faith. Everyone has that kind of faith. Okay? They also have what they call complex faith. Isn't this neat? They also have complex faith. And what complex faith is, is a belief system. And everyone has a belief system. Okay? Stay with me. The idea of a belief system is a belief system, a belief system that I have faith in that shapes and molds the way that I live, think, act, and work in my surrounding with each and every person, every person I come in contact with, family, familiar, non-familiar, what have you. It's a belief system. Okay? Um, atheists have a belief system. They have faith. In fact, I believe they have tremendous faith. Um, when I was in the Marine Corps, I was in the Somalia conflict. And when it really comes down to it, uh, I, 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 had, I, I was exposed to Christianity before I went over there. We had a chaplain, and I always knew in the bottom of my heart that Jesus, hey, there's weight to that kind of thing. And when we were in some different conflict uh, uh, times and those kind of situations when it was just, you know, bullets are flying everywhere and, you know, prayer comes... You have guys that you would never think would pray. They think, hey, I'm, I'm going to take, I, I bet there is. <laughs> and the real thing is, is they're not willing to wager that there isn't. There's always the, what if there really is? So to be an atheist in that position that says, eh, I'm putting my chips that there isn't a God, there are very few people who do that. Does that make sense? It takes great faith. So an atheist, if you ever meet an atheist, go, I'm impressed. <laughs> and then you can talk to them. But the idea is, is that they have great faith. They really do. They have phenomenal faith. Okay? They have faith. It's a belief system. What's their belief system? There's no God. In fact, my, and that's going to determine the way that I live, think, act, walk, and every relationship I have. It's a belief system. Okay? That's atheism. Now, you can go to the other extreme and look at Hindus. If you've ever been to India, but if you ever go there, you're going to meet people that are just odd. They don't believe in uh, no God. They don't believe in one or two or three gods. They believe in, oh, in fact, you can share, I, I learned this, you can share Christ, Christianity with a Hindu and think you're doing great. Because they're like, yes, I'll believe in him. But that's because it's another God that they're going to believe in. So they believe in Jesus just like they believe in everything else. Now that's phenomenal faith too. I had trouble enough with one God, not much, you know, 50,000 of things, man. I'd go insane. <laughs> so, I mean, they have faith that they can pull that thing off, okay? Which is why they look and act so odd at times. Um, okay? So, whether all over perspective, and then you could be like me growing up, uh, and you would ask me about faith, and I was either too uh, inebriated on something or another to care. You know, do you believe you have faith? I'm like, dude, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. I was too in my own little world. Um, 
But that was a belief system. It was a belief system of self-destruction that says, I don't care, it doesn't matter to me, I'm living for myself. In fact, I'm my belief system. Uh, I do what's best for me. It governs the way that I live and think and walk, okay, belief system. Now, why I told you that about the simple and complex belief systems of faith that everybody has, hear me. Christianity stands in absolute, utter, stark contrast to that, okay? Christianity is not a belief, it is not faith in a belief system. Christianity is faith in a person, period, Jesus. Now you would say, what do you mean by that? I've been reading a lot, especially uh, uh, some of the latest books uh, that are coming out, and they talk often about Christianity is terms of, in terms of being uh, information, a gathering of information, uh, things that I need to do, uh, things that I need to uphold, places I need to go, responsibilities that I have. And that's, that's not, and, and they talk about it in terms of a belief system. That's not Christianity. Let me give you an example of this. We make this mistake in our Bible. Sometimes we come to our Bible and we approach it. We looked at this this morning with the teens. And you remember this, but... Um, uh, we've come to the Bible and we approach it in a way that we shouldn't approach it. We approach it as information. I'm having trouble in my marriage, so I'm going to go to the Bible, I'm going to find everywhere that mentions marriage, and then I'm going to do what it says. Well, you can do that, and I guess there's room for some of that, but more than likely, you're going to take, especially some of the passages like Matthew, where Jesus is talking about divorce, and those kinds of things, you can read those passages on marriage, and Jesus is not talking about marriage. He's using marriage as an illustration to get to a deeper truth. And so you can get to the surface level stuff of the Bible and never get to the truth of why he's talking about that surface level stuff. Because what you have is, is you have a person that's writing to a person, like in our pastoral letters, Paul is writing to Timothy and he's writing to Titus. And he's using some of the issues in the church in order to get to uh, a truth. Now, the Two nights ago, I used a horrible illustration on being male, which I'll never use again. And uh, see, someone could walk out here and say, well, Jeremiah wants to be a female. Do you know that? And I'll come and get you if you say that stuff about me. Okay? Now, it wasn't about to be, be In fact, you can, people come out here and think and, and develop. Now, hear this. You know, this will make sense. Someone from the Inquirer could leave here and develop a whole theology of Jeremiah and his approach to male being female and how he's against it and, how, and, and all this kind of... And, and I would say, what are you talking about? Because they took one little, and, and I wasn't talking about that. I was using that as an illustration to get to a concept of truth, which is timeless. So, what I'm trying to tell you is some of the surface level stuff in our Bible, you get all wrapped up into that, you're going to miss the timeless truth of the Bible. So you just can't, you get what I'm saying? So this is not information. This is, and, and I'm convinced that some people have read this and not have read it. Because you can read this and not have read it type of thing. Because it's not facts and information. It is literally truth. It is, it is a sharp double-edged sword that reveals Jesus. And this is what everything in, the, everything in the Bible is pointing to him. So again, the belief system, the Christianity is a belief system talking about rules and facts and information and rules and guidelines. It's not it. It's also not morals. Okay? Christianity is not a list of morals. It's not the right thing to do and those kind of things. Here's another misconception. These are some things that I just strong about. Misconceptions of Christianity. It's not about, hear me teens, it's not about mimicking Jesus. What would Jesus do in this situation and therefore I will do it? I will do the best I can. I'll try the hardest I can. and I'm going to live a life that will honor him. And, and the life that he lived, I'm going to try to live that same life. That's not Christianity. 
See, that's not the faith that I'm talking about. Okay? I believe in the life that Jesus lived, and therefore I'm going to try to live the same life. We believe in a person, meaning that what Christianity is, is the reproduction of him through my life. He comes in. I don't have faith in a belief system. I don't have faith in that, well, since Jesus did it, I can do it. I've proved that wrong every time. I have faith that Jesus alone can do it in my life. What I cannot conquer, he can conquer. What I cannot accomplish, he can accomplish. So we have faith in a person. We call that holiness. Now, you want a couple examples of that, obviously. Jesus was our ultimate... Let me give you a couple examples of this. Jesus was our ultimate example of this. And as also a note, we looked at this the other night. Uh, we looked at this last night. The Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's role in our life, the believer's life. Okay? Oftentimes, well, a lot these days, Christians are talking, I don't know if you've heard this before, the journey language, that we're on this journey. I use journey language. You, you do not become a Christian on a journey. Meaning, like, you don't journey into Christianity. Uh, you're on a journey, and what, that was Wesley's language, and in that journey you become a Christian. In fact, Wesley called, talked about prevenient grace, which is a part of a journey that you're on, that God is moving and God is working. He's moving in your life and he's dealing with you. He's working, he's preparing you, and, and he, he's cultivating and running people across your path. But at a point in that journey, an opportunity comes where you invite Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit who literally comes and lives inside of your body. And at that point you say, I want you to be king, get in here. And you, hey, you, you surrender your life to him. And at that point in your journey, you become a Christian. And then we don't believe it stops. We believe that there's a crisis point. In fact, we believe that there's more than one crisis point. In other words, it's not the two knocks on the forehead and we're done kind of thing. It is the crisis point, initial sanctification, entire sanctification, and then the journey of growth and grace. Meaning that I will continue to grow. I'll continue to be stretched. And I'm on this journey of, of knowing him. and He's moving in my life and, and I'm growing. And, he, and the Holy Spirit is living in my life. And a part of that journey is, is he is literally solving. He's unworking. He's, he's peeling my fingers off of areas of my life that I've always lived, that I've always been in control of. And he resources me. And we talked about this last night with the Holy Spirit. He plays the role of revealer and resourcer. Now, the Holy Spirit being the resourcer, he's sourcing my life, means, of course, well, we talked about it, and Paul references it uh, uh, in the language of the fruit of the Spirit. He talks about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is, this is perfect. These are the fruit of the Spirit. As a Christian, I surrender, hear this, scenes. as a Christian, I surrender the right to be in control of my body. I surrender, the, I surrender the right to be in control of my future. And this is aggressive. In fact, I'm, find, I'm finding this turns people off. As a Christian, it's not an addition to, okay, I'll go to church. Okay, I'll stop treating my wife this way. Okay, I won't look at these kind of pictures, these kind of images. Okay, I'll give you some of my money. That's not Christianity. Christianity is a, res, a surrendering of yourself. Fruit of the Spirit is self-control. This was huge for me. Um, I see teens at teen camp, and I see adults too, but you adults just, we, we hide it better than the teens do. Uh, I see teens come to teen camp, and they cry to me about living this lifestyle that's like this. Up and down, up and down, up and down. And when you really probe, what you find is, it's not that they're not committed. Relax, don't beat yourself up. It's not that you're not committed. It's not that you don't care. It's not that kind of thing. 
See, you get stuck in the, I can do this. I mean, your heart is right. And I've, I've watched teens walk out here and say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to watch how Jesus lives. They get a belief system instead of a person. And I, I'm going to live that way and I'm going to model him. I'm going to read the Bible and get all the information and see how I'm supposed to live. And I'm going to do it. And they're fine for about two weeks. But then they start talking about, well, my brother, he's a jerk. And, uh, you know, and my mom and, oh, and my wife and my husband, oh, Lord help me. And, uh, oh, the boss at the job, whatever. Driving down the road, and it was the dog that ran in the car, and, the, and, then, the, and then it, and the whole thing fell apart. And what happened is, as I hear this language, I lost it. I just couldn't hold it together. And it just, which tells me that their Christian experience and their walk was based on what? And they come crashing down. Wouldn't it be something if you never had it? If your Christianity wasn't about your discipline, it wasn't about your ability. And you came to Jesus and said, Jesus, fruit of the Spirit is self-control. You said, Jesus, my bodily drive is out of control. My sex drive is out of control. I can't control it. I'm going to give you the right to control what I never was able to control. I'm going to allow my bodily, my bodily drives, my emotions, my temper. I'm going to allow, hey, what's going on, my eating habits. That's a big one. I'm going to allow, hey, the way that I treat this body to come under the authority and under the domination of the Holy Spirit, and I want you to control in my life what I was never able to control. That's Christianity. And failure happens when we take it back under control. So Christianity is not about discipline. Christianity is about, hey, Jesus comes and controls what I was never able to control. Uh, this was a big one for me, patience. Uh, patience is a fruit of who he is. I learned when I got married. I'm going to get in trouble. That's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. <laughs> I learned when I got married. Don't read into this, Chris. Okay, I learned when I got married, I learned when I got married that I was just a dope. That's what I learned. I did. I learned that I was different than my wife. And it, 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 it threatened. I was angry and it frustrated. And I didn't think. And, and I just struggled with patience. And, and I had to come to the point in my life where I said, Jesus, hey, I, wanna, I, just, I, I have to get so focused in on you. Would you shed your patience in the midst of this situation? Would you come and be patient in the midst of this? Because I am so impatient. And I've done that over and over and live in a posture of help me when raising my son. Be my patience. Be so huge in my eyes and, and be so engulfed and involved in this situation. Your person. It's, it's, he's not out there. He's in my life. Be so involved in this situation that your qualities come shining through my life. That's the resourcer concept of the Holy Spirit. So Christianity, and I hope I didn't confuse you, Christianity is not a belief, in other words, I do this, I do this, I do this, I'm a Christian. Christianity is Jesus. Come inside of my life and bring the fullness of who you are and bring under the domination of your very person everything, everything in my life so that my life takes on the characteristics of who you are. And when people see me, they don't see me, they see you. Jesus used this language. Jesus used this language. Jesus was the faithful. He didn't do faithful things. In other words, Jesus is not the faithful because, well, he's faithful. Well, he's always at church. <laughs> not that kind of stuff. Oh, he's faithful 10%, 25 for Jesus. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what he's talking about. It's as intertwined with his person. Jesus said stuff to his disciples like, if you've seen me, you've seen. It's not if you've seen me, you see just what my father does because I'm faithful to do just what he does. That's what he's talking about. He was literally sourced by the Father, which is why he consistently says stuff, my words are not my own, they come from the one who sent me. And the authority that I have comes from him. 
If you've seen me, you've seen this kind of language. Jesus in his person was the faithful. He was the faithful. Literally, the person of the Father shining through his life, living his life, reproducing his life. Now, let me give you one, one more example of this. You with me so far? I want you to turn back with me to the book of John, chapter 3. And while you're turning there, we're talking about faithfulness. Okay? Hey, being faithful. The root word of faithful is faith, which, which for Christianity is not a belief system, it's a person. Okay? If you, are, if you have faith, if you are faithful, okay, if you are faithful, it literally has to do with the person of God in whom you're faithful to, who's living in your life, and he is, he, is, he is so intertwined with you that he is in domination and control and brings everything underneath the control of who he is in his person. Okay, I am faithful, not in the activities that I do, but in the person that I am a different, I'm a new creation. Now, he, Jesus tried to talk to Nicodemus about this. Jesus tried to talk to Nicodemus about this, and this gave me hope when I was in college, which is when I studied this. Jesus is at the, uh, at the temple, and of course the Passover is taking place, and this man named Nicodemus, and I'm so impressed with Nicodemus, uh, he seeks Jesus out, and it begins in verse 1 by saying, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night. Now, there's a, probably a double meaning there, but actually he probably did come to Jesus at night because being a Pharisee and all the details and all the things that were going on during that week of the Passover, he had responsibilities, all kinds of stuff going on during the day. He probably did seek Jesus out at night by himself. Okay, wanted to talk to him. It's interesting, hear this, it's interesting how Nicodemus is presented in the passage. It says, now there was a man... And your English translation says, now there was a man of the Pharisees. There are two different Greek words for of that are used in our Bible. Okay? Uh, one is a genitive normal particle, which is not important. I won't go into that. Another one is the Greek word ek, which means out of. And when that, what, what that, when that word is used, a man out of the Pharisees, it's painting a picture that you want to know the kind of people that Pharisees were. You want to know, if I could pick for you the model Pharisee, the poster boy, if it was a commercial, the poster boy of what a Pharisee is, wham, it would be, hey, this is what he looks like. That's how Nicodemus is presented. He is not just, you know, casual. He's not just, well, you know, hey, he was a, of the Pharisees. He is a model of what a Pharisee looks like. But he doesn't stop there. He says there was a man out of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now that means he was a mem member of the Sanhedrin. Pretty interesting, huh? He's a member of the ruling council. In other words, he was not just a Pharisee, which was a teacher. He was a member of the ruling council, which is a teacher of the teachers, which is quite a, res uh, a resume. And if you combine that with the fact that at the end of this gospel, he becomes a disciple... He's seeking out Jesus. He's open-minded. In fact, listen to what he says to Jesus uh, in verse 2. He says, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. 
No one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. In other words, he says, listen, man, I was there. And, and hey, I'm, I, he did, he loved God. And he was, he was, hey, he was after him. He was open. And, and he says, listen, a lot of my contemporaries, and this will be the argument at the end of the gospel, he says, a lot of my contemporaries don't agree with me. But hey, I see something in your ministry. God is, there's something unique. I know that God is with you because, hey, you could not do the things you're doing unless God was with you. And what, what's he talking about? What's he seeing in Jesus' life? He's seeing Jesus not not being like his father, he's seeing Jesus being the vessel by which his father is spilling into his world. It's involved, he's literally, it's a person kind of thing. It's, it's who he is. He doesn't bring about all the details of what he did. It's his person. And Jesus looks at Nicodemus, <laughs> and this is, I find this comical. He looks at Nicodemus, and from verse 3 all the way down through verse 8, he basically looks at Nicodemus and says, Nicodemus, you have no idea what you're talking about. Um, in fact, you need a total transformation in your life. Uh, in fact, you are so off, you are so bad that you cannot be improved. He said, you are so bad that you literally need to be born all over again. You're beyond repair, Nicodemus, which is basically what he says. And of course, Nicodemus's response is what our response would be. He says in verse 9, how can this be? In other words, what are you talking about? He probably says the stuff that I hear a lot of people talk about who say they're Christians, not that I know, definitely. But he says, I'm not bad. I go to church on Sunday. I love God. I'm a, hey, I'm a fair, I'm a leader, I'm a, I'm a teacher, I'm a leader of Israel. And hey, I'm not, I see the good things and I want to be a part. And Jesus says, you've got to be born again. Nicodemus says, I have no idea what you're talking about. And he gives them an illustration. <laughs> this is so encouraging. He says, now think how radical this is. Keep, I want you to look at your passage, but I've got to move around when I tell you this. He says, Nicodemus, you're out. Now think about this. He says, Nicodemus, you're out. You're not in. You're not measuring up. You're not what we're after. Okay? Hey, you have the belief system. You're doing all the right things. You're into the law. You're all kind of being the best you can. He says, that's out. That's not what I'm into. He says, what I'm into is, he says, uh, what does he say? You are Israel's teacher, and do you not understand these things? He says in verse 11, I tell you the truth, we, hear this, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. Here's a question. Who's the we? Now, I used to think, oh, Jesus and God. No. Jesus never talks about the Father like that in this book. Jesus was a rabbi and he had 12 disciples. He was a teacher. Okay? They call him rabbi. He's a rabbi of 12 disciples. And we know that in their culture, and obviously we know from evidence in the, in the Gospels, that wherever the rabbi went, the disciples went. Always. So, of course, they're down at the, uh, at the uh, uh, Passover at this time. Or, uh, yeah, they're down at the Passover. And uh, Jesus is up in the upper room. Nicodemus has come to see him at night. The disciples are up there also. And Jesus includes, get this, stay with me just a little while longer. Jesus says, we, he includes the disciples in what he's experiencing. He says, we speak of what we know, we testify to what we have seen, but still you people don't believe our testimony. <laughs> Which is interesting. He says, you're not out, but you see those 12 dopey, ignorant fishermen over there? They're in. <laughs> And Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about? Because the disciples are living in ways that they cannot live. 
Did he ever, this was one of the biggest things that, with my non-church perspective, not growing up in church, one of the things that really stood out to me, when Jesus went to pick his disciples, he didn't go down to the college, he went down to the country, Galilee's country, country western music out there, you know, and uh, he went down there to pick his disciples, ignorant fishermen, to pick his disciples. And there's, there's content to that. They were, they, were not picking, they were not picked to be the disciples of certain rabbis. They were left, if you know anything about that culture. So they just went and did their own family kind of thing. Jesus picked the ones who weren't wanted, those who didn't measure up. <laughs> and he looks at Nicodemus and he says, oh, they're in. They're living in ways they cannot live. In fact, at one point, Jesus looks at, uh, at Peter after he asked the question, who do the people say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, no man has revealed this to you but my... So, see, Peter knew, Peter experienced, Peter was seeing something that was not the product of a belief system, it was the product of a person. Okay, I said all that to say this. When I stand before him, and this has been so heavy on me, and it's probably aggressive and hope you understand it, but I can fool you. And maybe there was a time in my life before I was a Christian, and maybe even, forgive me, after I was a Christian, when I was okay with that. What you didn't know didn't hurt you. But I've come to a point in my life and over the years that he sees me as I am, and there's no fooling him. In fact, I believe that if you're fake, the grace of God will be him exposing you. And he's not going to let you get away with that. Because he's not satisfied with you coming to church teens. He's not satisfied with you not doing drugs. He's not satisfied with you not having sex before marriage. Please hear me. He's not satisfied with you being in church all your life. Okay? He's not satisfied with you accepting the call to ministry and going to loving teens or going to a foreign land. What he wants, what he wants is literally to reproduce his life that you cannot do. He wants to reproduce it in your life. He wants to bring under the control of who he is what you could never have brought under control. So you do not do faithful things, you are faithful. Why? Because I'm changed, man. I'm born again, I'm a different person. I want to ask you, and this is phenomenal news for some of us, and it's so embarrassing and it's so difficult and I won't ask you to do it, but if it all came down to it, I bet you every one of us could stand up and say, I'm so tired of being like this. I'm so tired of... Uh, looking at her that way. I'm so tired of biting her head off. I'm so tired of treating him that way. I'm so tired of... And it's like, I don't want to be that way. I'm not evil. I come to church. I hate it, but there's this... There's some, I'm so tired of being that way. Wouldn't it be something if you could say, Jesus, could you make me faithful in that area of my life? Could you so invade... I, I, bring it under your authority. Bring it under your control. Because I'm tired of trying to be faithful and having all my... Because Christianity is not about discipline. It's natural. It's casual. It's, it's I don't try to be a Christian. I am a Christian. Could I be a Christian in that area of my life? Could I just see differently? Could, is that possible for you to do that in my life? Hey, I want to be a faithful. I don't want people to look at me and say, Wow, you never curse. You must be awesome. You must discipline yourself. Well, no. I had a transformation in my life, man. I'm changed. I don't try. I am. You mean you never fight with your wife and, and where's your pride and getting the last word and there was a change in my life. I hold my tongue. <laughs> I'm, I can't hold my tongue. Okay, I can't. I'm type A personality. I can't hold my tongue, man. What happened? I'm different. I'm different. 
You mean you quit doing crystal meth, Jeremiah, in 1995? The most, a, a, a phenomenal addicted drug that they say will come back years and years and years later? Yeah, we'll see you're recovering. No, that guy died. <laughs> I'm different. I'm different. I'm different. That did not define me. He defines me. I don't have faith in a belief system. I don't have faith in a set of rules that I'm going to adopt and principles and, oh, there's going to be habits that I'm going to make and I'm going to get and I'm going to have faith in that. I dump all of that and I have faith in you. I want you to come in my life and I want you to tackle what I could never tackle. Where do you need that in your life tonight? And as always, I don't want to deter you from responding, but we're not looking for a big, oh, you know, what we're looking for is people who are honestly going to say, Jeremiah, I am tired of being the way that I've always been. I'm tired of living this way. I'm tired of running out of steam and biting off my spouse's head. I'm tired of, of under the breakdown of a stress of the day, I find myself seeking comfort off the Internet. I'm tired of when I'm all by myself and, and I'm just, I'm tired of all, and you can, I can't come up with the amount of illustration. I'm tired of all those details. I want to be different. I want to be a different person. I want to be faithful in my person, not in my activities. I don't want it to be a discipline anymore. I want to be a Christian. Uh, you, you have that opportunity. You can be a Christian. You can be the real deal. Jesus, we want to come under your authority tonight. And Lord, I, I'm so critical of myself, and especially in hours like these. And I've just, I've thought about this all day long. And I've tried to take breaks from the thought and relax and fellowship and spend some time that I didn't think that I would even get with, with the Kierses and Rhonda and, and pop in and bug pastor from time to time. And I've just felt antsy and nervous all day about this. And, and now that it's here, I don't want to mess it up. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to over and complicate it. Would you come in the power of your Holy Spirit tonight, Jesus, and would you speak to us? I believe you want us to succeed more than we want to succeed. I believe you want us to overcome more than we want to overcome. I believe, Jesus, that you are, are, are so redemptive in your movement. You will go to the miles of the extent of the miles that I would never go in the redeeming of some people in the church and those outside the church. Would you speak to that one tonight who is just out of gas and they can't pull this. They're, they're tired of falling flat on their face. They're tired of struggling over the same things over and over. Would you just, would you come and make them different? Would you come and, and, and bring that underneath the power of who you are, crushing the enemy's enemy in their life, enemy's hold in their life? I want to stand before you and have you say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Faithful in your person, because you're different. And your bowed and eyes are closed. And, uh, I just, man, would you respond tonight? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And I, uh, I struggled up through the first three years of my ministry with anger. And uh, we were in a counseling session. And uh, my wife told the counselor that she was only scared of uh, two people in her life. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And just give me your attention for a second. And in the counseling session, it's about three years after we were married, and she said... Uh, I've only been scared of two people in my life. She says, my stepdad is a druggie and an alcoholic and a horribly abusive man. And she said, and my husband. And I looked at her like, I could, there was a whole gamut of emotions 
first of all, what are you talking about? Shock. I was embarrassed. <laughs> I'm an Nazarene evangelist, an ordained elder, and you're saying, how could you? And I was all those kinds of things. And she looked at me and she said, you don't know what you look like when you're angry. And it was just a few weeks after that. We were in California and we got in this huge argument. And I was yelling and I saw myself. We were staying in this, in this condo thing on the beach in San Diego. And, and I, I saw myself in this wall mirror that they had. And I just stopped in mid-sentence. And, and the Holy Spirit just said, this is what you look like. And Jeremiah, you'll never outgrow that. You'll never master that. You'll never you know, discipline that. That is a spiritual issue that I have to control in your life. And that was a monumental moment in my life. You don't grow through that. You are delivered from that. Now, that's not to say that you're not going to set patterns and those kind of things, but you need the Holy Spirit bringing that at a point in time. It's the same thing with homosexuality. It's the same thing with sexual abuse and the way you feel, your, uh, the way you feel about yourself. It's the same way as plaguing fears. There are several things, and I know you're aware of that your pastors talked to you about, that you just don't you know, put a Band-Aid on. You need a delivering factor of the Holy Spirit in your life. Would you let that happen? Because you're not going to be faithful until you are faithful. Because you can't make promises never to yell at your wife again and bite your tongue. Because Jesus says, if you do it in your heart, you've done it. And why he said that was, is you need to be a different person, not adopt the right things to do. I'm on a journey. I'm a 33-year-old man, and I want to be a Christian. And I'm, I'm growing like a weed. And he's always revealing areas of my life that just aren't quite where they should be. And it's probably because they're underneath my control and not his. I want to respond tonight, and I want to say, Jesus, any area of my life that's not under your control, any area that, you're, that I'm fulfilling and that you're not fulfilling, any area that I'm sourcing and that you're not sourcing, I just offer that readily up to you. Bring the fullness of who you are in this hour. Jesus, we love you. We want to seek you. Have your way. Speak to us. We want to respond and help that person tonight who just is so beaten. Would you let them know we understand that we're not wagging a finger at them. We're not going to embarrass them. We're not going to look down at them. We don't look at their struggle or what their, uh, what their uh, circumstance is, uh, no matter what it is. We don't look at, 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 at sins and, and, and patterns and those kinds of things on levels. It's, it all needs you. And, and this is the kind of place where freedom and, and acceptance and love, and we're going to walk through this. We're going to walk, our, walk with our community through these kinds of things. And we want to begin that tonight. Have your way, Jesus. We'll give you all the praise in your name.